Welcome to Creatively Human, a podcast for online business owners and creatives that goes beyond the work and dives deep into why we do what we do, the struggles and wins we face along the way, and how we fit it all into the kind of life we want to live. I'm your host, Ruth Poundwhite, and I help creatives grow their businesses in ways that fit around their life and values. Hi, and welcome back to another interview episode of Creatively Human. Today's guest is Lucy Lucroft, who started out as a travel blogger, but who now mainly focuses on living a low-impact lifestyle through veganism and zero waste. I really wanted to get her on specifically because I wanted to know why she's so passionate about using her platform in this way. And here's a random fact. Lucy is actually the reason why I started this podcast. I actually took her group course and she gave me the big nudge that I needed to get going. Anyway, this week's chat is a really good one and we actually ended up getting quite deep into a lot of topics. We talk about so many things from activism to being non-judgmental to donating business profits to charity and really just growing and changing alongside your business. I really hope you like it. Hi Lucy, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, could you give a brief introduction to what you do? My name is Lucy Lucroft. I'm a freelance journalist, um, blogger, podcaster, and I make content for ethically conscious creatives. And that kind of is an umbrella term to describe um, the fact that I create content around veganism, um, zero waste and low impact living, um, and sustainable fashion. Yeah, that's what I do. (laughs) So would you describe what you do and the content you put out as a form of activism? I think I would actually. And I, and I only came to that realization really a few days ago (laughs) when I was talking to my husband and and I was getting myself prepared because I, I wrote to my MP and, um, and I wasn't very satisfied with the letter I got back. So I called and I've got an appointment in December. Anyway, I was prepping for it and I was looking for kind of facts and figures and, and thinking about what I wanted to get out of this meeting. And uh, my husband said, he was like, you're just, you're just an activist now, aren't you? You're a local activist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I, I don't really like that term because it probably I don't know if you feel like this when you hear this term, but it sort of conjures up um, protesters throwing blood at people mm-hmm. wearing fur and um, I don't know, people chaining themselves to railings, which I actually think is completely appropriate sometimes. Of yeah. course. But um, yeah, and I and I don't necessarily relate to that. But actually, yeah, I, I would say that that is really underpinning what I do is that I want to educate and encourage other people to do the same as me. <laughs> yep. I definitely see it as activism and, and it's also something I've been thinking about lately. And yeah, you're right. The traditional idea of activism is very um, in your face, I guess, and out there. But I don't think that that works for everyone, especially, for example, people with children. You don't necessarily want to, um, you know, risk getting arrested and things like that or um, people with different um, personalities or mental health issues or anything like that I think there's a lot of ways to to be an activist and you're you're using your platform to share what you believe in so to me that definitely makes you an activist oh I love that (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird um, identity to step into um, in a way, in one sense, yeah. and then also feels incredibly natural mm. in another. Yeah, does it feel a bit scary to call yourself an activist? Is it, does it put on some sort of pressure? Yeah, I think it does. I think anything, anything where you're educating people or, or state, actually not even educating people, but any, anything where you state an opinion that is not the status quo mm. is terrifying because you're opening yourself up to criticism from other people. But also, you know, I'm learning about everything all the time. So this time next year, I might look back at this interview and think, oh, you didn't, like you were so far behind, you know so much less than you do now. And I might cringe at some of the things I say, hopefully not, but <laughs> that's, so I think that's why it's scary because you're making yourself vulnerable, aren't you? Yeah, that makes so much sense. And you're sort of, you're sharing what you're learning, but mm. sort of imperfectly because you're aware, you're very aware that you're still learning and you've still got a long way to go yourself. And that's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really gross. And sometimes I really want to just, oh, like just not, not tell anybody about what I'm doing and not share what I think other people should be doing. Sometimes I just think, oh, I can't be bothered. But that's privilege, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And um, it, I mean, it makes total sense that you just want to stop sometimes. But I'm guessing you have a deeper sort of drive that makes you do it. So I'd love to talk a bit about that. Like, what got you into this? What got you into uh, veganism, sort of low waste lifestyle? And what made you think that you wanted to use your platform to educate people about that? I think I've probably, in fact, I know I've always just at my core been um, somebody who hates waste. I just hated it as a child. I hated it. As I was growing up, I always hated it. And I had all these funny, funny little kind of quirks that I used to wrap Christmas presents in newspaper when I kind of got to the like uh, 12 or 13. Um, and my parents would laugh at me and whatever. And my mum always would be like, oh, you know, you're always trying to save the world. And I've always been very interested in politics and interested in what's going on in the world from a young age. But I also had not much self-confidence and not a very easy time at school and probably early adulthood so um I definitely leaned heavily into just trying to fit in and just doing what everybody else was doing um and I worked in retail so it was kind of my job to yeah uh, proliferate the um unethical practices in retail which it feels horrible now but also you know I feel kind of blessed that I I have a bit of an I have a lot of inside information in a sense um to talk about it but yeah so I've been vegetarian for probably 15 years on and off for 15 years um and it was one of those things that when I first went veggie it was very much oh it's a phase it's a phase mm -hmm. yeah and um, that probably that phase probably lasted a really long time when people would um, be like, "Are you are you vegetarian? I can't remember. Are you vegetarian?" Um, and I don't know. I I would always get teased about it, which seems bad to me now. But you know, it's even worse when you're vegan. And then I went vegan about three 
years ago, I think three, four years ago, three years ago. Um, but I wasn't vegan at all when I was pregnant. I was a full on carnivore. So that, that's where the off bit <laughs> comes. <laughs> and then, um, as soon as I had Anais, I went back to veganism again and we've brought her up vegan and now my husband's vegan. So my little, um, activism helped at least mm-hmm. with just our family. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm vegan too. And I've been vegan for about the same amount of time as you and vegetarian before that. I found it really hard to be vegan when mm. I was pregnant because, um, I had terrible food aversion. Like I didn't like any kind of food, but I held myself up to this sort of standard of wanting to stay vegan. I did actually eat a few non-vegan things, but it was really hard. And I feel like actually that experience made me a bit more understanding as a vegan of people who maybe can't um can't maintain perfect veganism all the time I guess yeah I found it really really difficult I just wanted yeah I don't know I'm not really somebody who holds myself up to very high standards anyway (laughs) so for me it was quite easy to just be like no I'm having a steak I don't care yeah and the way I see it is you're still making a massive difference even if you're not perfect I think so. I think you just have to be kind to yourself with stuff like that, don't you? Because it's so easy to beat yourself up for not doing everything perfectly. And I think I was reading something on Instagram. Somebody was saying one of the downsides to trying to strive for a more ethical way of life, whether that's veganism or zero waste or whatever, is that you're very aware of all of the negative kind of things mm. in the world. And actually, sometimes you can really get yourself into an existential crisis where yep. you feel completely hopeless. And I get that a lot. Um, you just see a bit of litter on the street and you're like, oh God, this is so awful. Um, and, and sometimes I think you just have to pull yourself out of it. <laughs> yep, yep. Right, I'm going to go back a bit to something you said about um, growing up, you kind of wanted to fit in all the time. So what what made you go vegan? Because that is not, or vegetarian, I should say, when you first went vegetarian, because that is not exactly the way to fit in, is it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I was really young, maybe, it's actually, it's probably been 20 years. So I was like 10 or 11. Wow. I just loved animals and I, I'd never been a, I never really partook in dairy anyway, just because I didn't, I didn't like milk. Um, so that side of things wasn't too difficult I wasn't a big I didn't have a big appetite I wasn't really a foodie when I was growing up it's all changed now but um I don't know I just yeah I just really loved animals Mm. that was the thing for me I didn't know anything about the environmental impacts or anything about I didn't even know about some of the really cruel practices I just thought well I don't I'm living in my parents house and they're not buying organic grass-fed beef so and I'm not going to buy it <laughs> at the age of 10. So I'm just not going to eat meat. Yeah, I had a similar thing at a young age, but I didn't go vegetarian until I was an adult. Yeah, I think it's really hard, though, when you're young, because you have no control over what you're eating, really. Mm. You have um, a semblance of control in that you're offered, do you want this or do you not want this? Um, it was certainly in my household, that's how it was. Um, so it's really hard to to say... I and it goes against all everything that we've been taught which is you get what you're given you'll you'll eat everything that's on your plate and no questions that's what we were taught as you know that's good manners for a child so 
it's really hard I mm. think to do it as a child I'm not really sure why I was so bolshy <laughs> but um <laughs> my parents didn't really I do remember that they were they were really sweet about it but in a kind of patronizing way and then sometimes it would just be given me anyway <laughs> yeah I mean when you are veggie and vegan I suppose not as a child but when you've grown up as an adult and now you talk about it you have to find the balance between well firstly I'm so grateful I'm really really grateful any any time anyone like accommodates my dietary requirements basically like it's really 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 nice of people Mm. um but also yeah sticking to your diet you want to stick to your diet you don't you need to be firm on it but also being grateful and being kind to people who constantly question you about it because I do get I get constantly questioned all the time Mm. probably any social situation there's people that question me about it and I don't know if you have this but I feel like I want to be a good example of a vegan oh yeah definitely and I think that's the thing isn't it when it comes to having any kind of label on yourself and whatever it is and it could be outside of all these things it could be a religious label anything you are immediately saying I am this person which means that um the other whoever you meet is then identifying you on what they see that label as um and that's really hard sometimes I think the yeah I'm the same as you in that I want to be a good example and sometimes that means you feel like you have to be the least judgmental vegan Mm, ever yeah and sometimes it's the opposite that you that you have to show that you've got lots and lots of knowledge and you've got good reasons for being vegan and yeah it's a real pressure isn't it sometimes you just want to say well this is my food choice and that's (laughs) one of the best things that I ever did was share my journey in its messy in its messy entirety and say oh I didn't eat vegan today or um I have this great recommendation for a product, but it is in plastic or, you know, and not because that has, that's really helped me in a humbling kind of way because I'm constantly sharing my mistakes. Um, And also it it helps other people, I think, feel that they can relate to me because they know I'm not, I'm actively showing them all the, the stupid stuff that I do. So yeah, they know that I'm not going to judge them for whatever they do. Yes, that's a really important point. Actually, that's something I remember all the time because when you're vegetarian or vegan, you get asked these um, classic questions. You'll know what I mean. You know, you get the same questions all the time and that's fine. I mean, people are curious, um, but it gets annoying just because you get asked them all the time. But yeah. before I went vegetarian, I asked those questions. So yes. it helps me a lot to remember that I was asking those questions and perhaps the person who shot me down and got annoyed with me, I didn't learn from. But the person who actually did just talk to me about it, I learned something from it. So, and I and I can't judge anyone for asking those questions. So yeah, you're right. It's really, really important to be honest about where you're not perfect and to remember that as well. Do you ever get people judging you, pointing out when you're not perfect or just like totally not agreeing with your lifestyle choices? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Um, but in real life as opposed to right. online online people are just i, I i've never ha- apart from twitter i've never had any anybody be mean not really maybe a couple of times but in real life they'll be is that vegan what you're eating is is that vegan mm. 
Right, don't worry about it. You don't need to know if it's vegan. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it comes from curiosity. There's a group of friends that I have. Um, we meet every other Tuesday, and there's one person who always asks that question. Whatever I'm eating, is that vegan? And I, I, she's just asking because of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nothing personal, is it? It's just that you get asked it a lot. Yeah. 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 No, I get that. So um, when it comes to low waste, what was the, when did you start getting really into this and making it a part of everything you share online? So probably about 18 months ago is when I started thinking about it all. Um, And then I started sharing about it maybe a year ago. Um, Yeah, probably a year ago. Um, it all kind of tied together with, so when I had my daughter, I went back to being vegan and then started, um, thinking about how we live as a family and the waste that we produce and plastic particularly. I think it was because, well, you'll know this when you have a baby and you look at all the stuff that people buy you Mm. and stuff that people say you need, oh my goodness, it's all plastic, it's ridiculous. And I was very, very, I don't know what happened, but I just had a feeling that I didn't need all this stuff. Yeah, it just all started from there, really. Um, And then I started sharing bits and bobs and people were really quite interested in reusable nappies and anything around um, how I manage, or they certainly were at the beginning, how I manage to live low waste with a baby um because I think that's really hard to do actually mm. so that's yeah that's where it started and where it is now is that I try and share all of my journey and I'm obviously a bit further on than I was um and I'm trying to share much much more um in terms of the swaps that I'm making now and yeah I even made a video about composting <laughs> I watched it I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy. I would really recommend it. Yeah. I, and actually, that's a point. You said that's easy, but um, that's one of the things. So I am not zero waste at all. I want to be and I try, but then I seem to go through phases and then I just, I can't deal with it because I just feel overwhelmed. Mm. So I guess that is the other thing. It's easy, but it can be overwhelming. It helps me f- to see people like you putting little bits out of your life all the time because it kind of gets it gets the ideas into me but without you know trying to do it all at once if that makes sense yeah totally I think the zero waste movement I mean firstly I don't believe that anyone can be completely zero waste I just and I and I don't think striving for it is is helpful for anybody one of my biggest bugbears and it's similar to you know the haul videos the youtubers do where they just literally show you what they've bought primark i hate them i've always hated Mm. them um but in the zero waste movement it's the i produce this kilner jar of waste Mm. yeah i don't think that's helpful i understand why it's done i think it's we're in a really shit situation um with the planet and um how with our waste where it goes um so I understand it does there does have to be a level of shock but I don't think personally the zero waste movement is anything like how people think it is because 
it's not about having these beautiful open shelves of kilner jars um although that's great too and I wouldn't want to shame anybody who wants to make their house look beautiful I but it's more about being really conscious of every purchase you make Mm. and and making the swaps that work for you and your family they're going to look different to everybody and they're not necessarily going to be pretty it they're not going to be glamorous and they're maybe not going to be instagrammable um that's where I think it becomes overwhelming is when you look at the finished product of an Instagrammer who's made this beautiful flat lay of, you know, all the swaps that they've made. Um, and you just think, oh, I, I can't, my furniture doesn't look like that. And I've got loads of books. And do you know what I mean? That's that's where I have found myself getting overwhelmed sometimes. Yeah. Um, but then you're just moving so far away from the message, really, of living your life in a low-impact way on the planet that, yeah, that's when you kind of need to t- take a step back and be like, okay, I'm just going to do what I want for a week and not think about <laughs> not think about how anyone wants me to live my life and really, like, stay in tune with what you're buying, why you're buying it, um, the things that are annoying you, the things that bring you joy. That's, yeah, kind of my ethos on it. Oh, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, about getting overwhelmed. And also, personally, I can't relate to those people with the kilner jar of their non-recyclable waste because, to me, I just think, how can I go from this to that? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't. I need people sort of at all stages in between. And I guess yeah. that's that's true for everything, like, not just what you're doing, but anything that we're sharing. And, um, yeah, and we often doubt ourselves for being imperfect at what we do. But... Yeah, people need to see people at all stages of various journeys to to relate to people like them or just one step ahead of them maybe. Yeah, for sure. It's like what you do with your with your business and the things that you're teaching people about business. The person who is a brand new blogger or hasn't even started their business that doesn't know what an email list is might get completely overwhelmed by Mm. your content but for someone like me who's much further along it's perfect yeah oh it makes so much sense and actually as a business owner that's something worth reminding ourselves of when we sort of doubt what we're doing and whether it's good enough yeah definitely and we do that all the time don't we (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) what's your best tip for someone who who wants to reduce their impact on the planet I think the best thing that you can do is don't look at Instagram (laughs) um look at what you're producing right now look at your family your lifestyle and really delve deep into literally look in your bins that's what I did I looked at my bins I looked at my recycling bin and I looked at what was the big culprits and for me it was nappies mm-hmm. um and disposable nappies which will sit on a landfill for 500 years more probably because we don't even know we haven't got there yet <laughs> yeah look at look at the things that you're producing um the waste that you're producing and see where you can change them so yeah so for the nappy example I looked at my nappies they were revolting producing absolutely shed loads of them um they're going to be sat on a landfill they can't be recycled they're really really bad for the planet 
so okay what could I do I can personally switch to reusables so I did and then I started looking at wipes um, and changing to reusable wipes but for somebody else that might not be possible at all so look at what you can do really simple swaps I would say are and it doesn't matter if you're vegan or not um, look at your milk if you currently get milk in a carton then think about switching to glass if you can we <laughs> have um, a delivery van here called milk and more I think they're all over the country although I think the milk is Muller but which is not obviously an ethical company but yeah. <laughs> switch to glass um other things that you could do I it's so per- I don't like to be prescriptive with it at all because it's really personal isn't it it's so personal to you because I could be saying like with the composting oh it's easy you're absolutely right but that's not going to be easy for somebody else um but the best swaps I've made are to um I buy all of my grains and all of that in bulk that's quite simple for me to do because I have a I have um, a bulk store fairly near to me in Brighton. Anybody outside of London or Brighton, actually, I think there are a few popping up in Birmingham, mm. probably won't have a bulk store close to hand. Um, so the other thing that I did um, was get a bread machine. I bought it for like 10 quid off Gumtree and um, I make my own bread in there. I also make um, pizza dough in there and I can just get it to knead up some dough and then I make that into pita bread or uh, like flatbreads or whatever because that was a big thing for our family is that we just consume a lot of bread. Um, For somebody else, especially if you're gluten-free or something, you probably won't have the same amount of unrecyclable plastic coming from bread. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of about looking at, at the waste that you're producing and then seeing what swaps you can make. That Normally, the bathroom is a a really easy way well it's a simple way I won't say it's easy (laughs) but normally the bathroom is where you're going to find a lot of the both unethical um not not cruelty free plastic yeah super wasteful that's normally where you'll find it in the bathroom yeah good tip okay another another topic that I wanted to ask you about is donating to charity and being sort of just talking about it basically because you have this thing where you're donating money to charity different charity every month based on your podcast reviews so I guess I just wanted to talk about this because for me donating donating to charity is a part of what I want to do with the money that I earn from my business but I find I find it a bit icky talking about it like I don't know how to talk about it and I don't really know why so I'd just love to have your thoughts on that yeah I so it's a really hard one as well when you're somebody even asked it in the in my Facebook group just now and was talking about doing the same thing but for something else for if I hit a certain number of traffic on my blog I think so what I do is when somebody leaves a review I donate a pound for them and a pound for me so I basically donate two pounds for every review that someone leaves me and the reason I I did it that way is just because a podcast that I listened to did that. And I was like, oh, that's such a cool idea. And then I left them a review and and it felt like a double win for char- as somebody leaving a review. Because for those who don't know, leaving a review on iTunes for a podcast is just one of the nicest things you can do because it really 
it plays into the algorithm for the charts it helps it literally helps um the algorithm show the podcast to more people and then get more I was about to say readers, listeners. Um, And that was what I came up with. Well, I didn't come up with it. I stole it from that that (laughs) podcast that I listened to. And and I totally understand why you feel icky because I do not really massively promote it to anybody outside of the people that already listen to the podcast. When I say it feels icky, I don't mean what you're doing feels icky, but I feel like it just feels icky to me talking about giving to charity and I don't get it. It's like, for some reason, like, yeah, it's the whole like worry of saying, oh, a percent of my profits will be donated yeah. to charity or however many reviews, it'll be donated to charity. And for some reason, it feels like you're showing off of it or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I No, I totally get what you mean because I, I feel it too sometimes, which is why I've been sort of not as loud as I probably should be about it because, yeah, it's very hard to remove yourself Um the business owner who is earning enough money to be able to give a chunk to charity because that's really what you're kind of almost saying even though that might not necessarily be true but that's for me that felt like like I had to justify it like I do it like this because of this Mm. when really I don't need to (laughs) and there's all this like um you know these big business owners like Bill Gates or whatever Mm. you know they donate loads of money to charity but it doesn't make them necessarily better than someone with absolutely no money who can't donate money mm. or time to charity. Do you think maybe that's what it is, that it makes yeah. you feel like you're almost shaming people who who can't give their money to charity or choose not to? It could be partly that. I just don't know what it is. But uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you about it is, I guess, because I feel really strongly about using money when we can. Mm. Um, and obviously not shaming people when they're not in the position to do so. But yeah, I just, I like the fact that you talk about it because I think I think a lot of people listening to this podcast want to do good things with their money. And yeah, I just think it's something worth mentioning because yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff to do with money, to be honest, is icky, isn't it? Yeah. We, we get that icky feeling talking about it and we shouldn't. I think... Um giving to charity and giving where you can is just one of the best things that that you can do really because it's and it doesn't that I did um philosophy um a level and I remember learning about altruism Mm. um and understanding that there is really no true altruistic act but there, there kind of is but there isn't because you have an emotional payoff, don't you, that you feel good. I think that's okay. I think it's really brilliant that if you give to charity, you feel good about yourself. I think it's important to to sometimes do more than that and use your voice and um, use whatever level of activism you can bring to the table as well. Um, if that's going to your MP or, you know, like writing a letter signing a petition but I do think giving to charity giving money to charity is a really good thing yeah it basically just comes back to what we were talking about at the start isn't it there's just so many different ways to make a difference and you can do a bit of one and a bit of another Mm -hmm. and it all like it all does something and I love the way you just brought up philosophy because I did philosophy um degree did you yeah well combined honors yeah yeah oh wow we could have spent this whole time talking about Kant and hard determinism. I could not I could not talk about Kant. <laughs> I managed to write an essay about him, but I did not understand it at all. Me neither. But I, I was going to bring up Peter Singer because um, 
oh, he talks a lot about animal rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being introduced to vegetarianism and things at that time through him. But also he has a website. Um, he has a book called The Life You Can Save. And he has a website of the same name and it's a nonprofit organization. And they go and they evaluate different charities and uh, figure out where your money is best spent. And I just wanted to give it a shout out because I think it's a really good place to go for anyone who wants to donate money for charity and, and to charity and is not sure where. It's really, really good. And his whole philosophy about charity, that's really interesting as well in the book. Basically, he thinks we should all donate money to charity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we've gotten quite deep in this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I don't really do anything by halves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love that. I love how you've tied... You started as a travel blogger mm. and it's just... It's taken its own journey, hasn't it, as you've changed? Yeah, it's evolved with me. Yeah, for sure. And you can, you can even see that in... You can literally see that on my blog that it started as travel because I was literally traveling for like three years. And then... I came home and, and was very confused about what I should be writing about. I was still traveling a little bit, but um, I was writing more about blogging because I realized I was really sick of all the crap that I was reading about blogging and all of the sort of unethical courses that I saw. Um, and then I had a baby, so I was writing about that. Um, and then that kind of bring, and also I held on to travel blogging for such a long time because that's how I started and all of my friends in the industry um I, and it, I found it really really hard to completely drop travel blogging even though I don't want to go on press trips anymore at all as a travel blogger or as a journalist so it's it's been a weird year as well because I've also step changed out of even I mean I sort of pitch for travel pieces a little bit now but I don't really want to so I'm like shifting what feels like two or three careers at the same time yeah it's quite full-on I know you're going through a similar thing so yep I can totally relate to that it's hard yeah and and I suppose we're in a massively privileged position because we can think about what we really want to do and like make it happen but it's it's messy making it happen but it is a privilege oh my goodness yeah I'm I feel so, so, so lucky um, that I'm able to, to make these choices and just say, oh, I'm yeah. just not going to write about this anymore. I'm going to do this now. Yeah. Puts it all into perspective thinking mm. of it that way. Like um, just when you worry, you worry so much, don't you, about, oh, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? But at the end of the day, yeah, the only reason we've got these worries is because we're in like a really great position to begin with. Yeah. And... I suppose sometimes you can get yourself into a bit of a shame spiral, can't you, about, oh, but I'm really privileged, why aren't I happy? And and it can just, I mean, that's that's certainly the case for me. I'm so lucky, I've got a healthy baby, I had an amazing pregnancy, why why am I not content with this? I just think it's human nature to not necessarily be content. And actually, to take it back to another um, existential philosopher and psychotherapist Viktor Frankl, who is my favorite, <laughs> my favorites. Yeah. Him and Irvin Yalom. I still have their books. <laughs> so he talks about the fact that it's all about the search, this man's search for meaning. Um, yeah. And he he was in a concentration camp, and he talks about the people that survived in concentration camps were sometimes the people who had hope 
Um, and it's about constantly searching for more meaning. It's kind of just the, it's just human nature, isn't it? Yep, yep. I love that you've brought it back to this philosophical <laughs> discussion. I loved his book. I've read, um, I read Man's Search for Meaning and Man's Ultimate Search for Meaning. Oh, I didn't know there was an ultimate. There is, I think there's even a third one. <laughs> anyway, yeah, anyone could get anything out of those books. Definitely recommend it. Oh, yeah. They're not hard. They're not like full on to read, no, I don't no. think. Apart from the emotional stuff of reading about his experience in the concentration camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. But yeah, it's so, it's so important. So important. I actually studied the Holocaust um, as my main subject because I had combined honours philosophy and history. So um, the Holocaust was my main subject in third year university. And I just think everyone could do with reading these books listening to voices of people who have gone through it oh my goodness we have so much in common did you I don't I probably have never told you this but um I have a real like fascination with the holocaust and I did I studied um obedience in psychology as one of um the like optional module I can't even remember what they're called now but anyway obedience and all about how and and the holocaust was a big part of that because some of that were done were about um a whole nation's obedience yes um yeah when it came to just saying yes and just accepting um hitler's will anyway wherever i go whatever city i go to i always search out the whole like the jewish quarter and the holocaust museum i'm obsessed i just find it so so fascinating and i just can't I just still I always think when I'm looking at um the pictures of people in the concentration camp or hear the stories I just think this could happen today I don't know why we separate it from ourselves this I mean just look at Trump yeah exactly I think this all the time you know what it's so true we think that we've learned from it we haven't learned from it no not at all I think uh, you know we have to a certain extent and I think Germans have learned from it um but I could see it happening yep. again, 100%. And in fact, you know what? It is happening again all over the world, just, you know, not to white people. So it's not at the forefront of our discussion. I mean, we saw it in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. It was completely, it was different, but it was mass, mass genocide. I mean, yeah. And ethnic cleansing. Yep. So, and traveling. And traveling um, in Southeast Asia. I mean, I heard so many stories from people in yeah, look at Cambodia. Cambodia and Burma are like literally people mm. we bumped into just telling us and I couldn't believe it and we don't even know about it we don't mm, learn about I it know. in school and that's because I mean if we if if we're really honest it's because of white supremacy and it's because these people are not white that's why we don't know about mm. it and that's oh, you know people know about it but that's why it's yeah. not taught to the masses yeah. in the same way that um our white history has been yeah yeah. wow or our history has been white white whitewashed really definitely yeah definitely oh wow we're getting deep um it it just goes (laughs) it goes like right back to the beginning again about why it's just important to talk about what matters using your platform right I'm going to wrap it up now with a couple of parting questions so the first one is what advice would you give yourself when you first started blogging be yourself and remember that it takes longer than you think it will <laughs> that's really good advice I wouldn't have listened to that advice at the start but <laughs> it's hard isn't it it's really hard especially waiting time yeah yeah I'm impatient so <laughs> right second question 
What is a skill you wish you had? I wish I was a more natural athlete. I wish I was sporty because I really, really love yoga. I love it. But outside of that, and also I love yoga, but I I like a home practice or sometimes I have a yoga teacher who comes to me. I really hate going to classes. And I feel like if I was sporty, then I would go to the gym or join in classes and go to Zumba. But no, I'm too scared. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I like running on my own. Yes. (laughs) I'm very, very slow. Although that's partly why I like doing it on my own, to be honest. There's no one to beat. (laughs) Last question is, where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? So I'm pretty easy. You can find me on my blog, lucyloucraft.com. And I'm just at lucyloucraft everywhere. But I'm mostly on Instagram. So, Well, thank you. That was a really interesting chat. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We got quite deep there, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> Introverts. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to another episode of Creatively Human. It would really help me and the podcast if you could take a moment to review, rate and subscribe. I'd also really love to hear from you on Instagram at Ruth Poundwhite, where I like to get a bit philosophical about online business. And you can find me on my website, ruthpoundwhite.com, where you can read the episode show notes, subscribe to my behind the scenes newsletter, or read more about my own experience of running a creative online business.